Part two of Chapter Two Little Eve Edgerton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Little Eve Edgerton by Eleanor Hallowell Abbott. Part two of Chapter Two. As if some mote of dust disturbed her, suddenly she rubbed the knuckles of one hand across her eyes. But maybe we'll have daughters, she persisted undauntedly, and maybe they'll have houses. Oh, shucks, said Barton uneasily. Ah, uh, a house isn't so much. It isn't? asked little Eve Edgerton incredulously. Why, why, you don't mean don't mean what puzzled barton do you live in a house asked little eve edgerton abruptly her hands were suddenly quiet in her lap her tousled head cocked ever so slightly to one side her sluggish eyes incredibly dilated why of course i live in a house laughed barton oh breathed little eve edgerton really it must be wonderful. Wiltingly, her eyes, her hands, drooped back to her scrapbook again. In all my life, she resumed monotonously, I've never spent a single night in a real house. What? questioned Barton. Oh, of course, explained the girl dully. Of course I've spent no end of nights in hotels and camps and huts and trains and steamers and... But... "'What color is your house?' she asked casually. "'Why, brown, I guess,' said Barton. "'Brown, you guess?' whispered the girl pitifully. "'Don't you know?' "'No, I wouldn't exactly like to swear to it,' grinned Barton a bit sheepishly. Again the girl's eyes lifted just a bit over-intently from the work in her lap. "'What color is the wallpaper in your own room?' she asked casually. "'Is it?' Is it a dear pink posy sort of effect, or just plain shaded stripes? Why, I'm sure I don't remember, acknowledged Barton worriedly. Why, it's just paper, you know. Paper? He floundered helplessly. Red, green, brown, white, maybe it's white, he asserted experimentally. Oh, for goodness sake, how should I know? He collapsed at last. When my sisters were home from Europe last year, they fixed the whole blooming place over for some kind of a party, but I don't know that I ever specially noticed just what it was that they did to it. Oh, it's all right, you know, he attested with some emphasis. Oh, it's all right enough, early Jacobian or something like that, perfectly corking, everybody calls it. But it's so everlasting big, and it costs so much to run it, and I've lost such a wicked lot of money this year that I'm not going to keep it after this autumn. If my sisters ever send me their Paris address, so I'll know what to do with their things. Browningly, little Eve Edgerton bent forward. Some kind of a party? She repeated in unconscious mimicry. You mean you gave a party, a real Christian party, as recently as last winter? And you can't even remember what kind of a party it was? Something in her slender brown throat fluttered ever so slightly. "'Why, I've never even been to a Christian party in all my life,' she said. 
though I can dance in every language of Asia. And you've got sisters, she stammered, live silk and muslin sisters, and you don't even know where they are? Why, I've never even had a girlfriend in all my life. Incredulously, she lifted her puzzled eyes to his. And you've got a house, she faltered, and you're not going to keep it. A real, truly house. And you don't even know what color it is. You don't even know what color your own room is. And I know the name of every house paint there is in the world, she muttered, and the name of every wallpaper there is in the world, and the name of every carpet, and the name of every curtain, and the name of everything, and I haven't got any house at all. Then startingly, without the slightest warning, she pitched forward suddenly on her face and lay clutching into the turf, a little dust-colored wisp of a boyish figure sobbing its starved heart out against a dust-colored earth. "'Why, what's the matter?' gasped Barton. "'Why, why, kid!' Very laboriously, with his numbed hands, with his strange unresponsive legs, he edged himself forward a little till he could just reach her shoulder. "'Why, kid!' he patted her rather clumsily. "'Why, kid, do you mean?' Slowly through the darkness, Eve Edgerton came crawling to his side. Solemnly she lifted her eyes to Barton's. "'I'll tell you something that Mother told me,' she murmured. "'This is it. Your father is the most wonderful man that ever lived.' My mother whispered to me quite distinctly. "'But he'll never make any home for you, except in his arms, and that is plenty home enough for a wife, but not nearly home enough for a daughter, and—' And, why, you say it as if you knew it by heart, interrupted Barton. Why, of course I know it by heart, cried little Eve Edgerton almost eagerly. My mother whispered it to me, I tell you. The things that people shout at you, you forget in half a night. But the things that people whisper to you, you remember to your dying day. If I whisper something to you, said Barton quite impulsively, will you promise to remember it to your dying day? Oh, yes, Mr. Barton, droned little Eve Edgerton. Abruptly, Barton reached out and tilted her chin up widely toward him. In this light, he whispered, with your hat pushed back like that, and your hair fluffed up like that, and the little laugh in your eyes, and the flush, and the quiver, you look like an elf, a bronze and gold elf. You're wonderful. You're magical. You ought always to dress like that. Somebody ought to tell you about it. Woodsy, storm-colored clothes with little quick glints of light in them. Packing or some of those people could make you famous. As spontaneously as he had touched her, he jerked his hand away and, snatching up the lantern, flashed it bluntly on her astonished face. For one brief instant her hand went creeping up to the tip of her chin. Then very soberly, like a child with a lesson, she began to repeat Barton's impulsive phrases. In this light, she droned, with your hat pushed back like that, and your hair fluffed up like that, and the, the, more unexpectedly then, than anything that could possibly have happened, she burst out laughing, a little, low, giggly, schoolgirlish sort of laugh. Oh, that's easy to remember, she announced. Then all one narrow black silhouette again, she crouched down into the semi-darkness. For a lady, she resumed listlessly, who rode side-saddle and really enjoyed hiking round all over the sticky face of the globe, 
My mother certainly did guess pretty keenly just how things were going to be with me. I'll tell you what she said to sustain me, she repeated dreamily. Any foolish woman can keep house, but the woman who travels with your father has got to be able to keep the whole wide world for him. It's nations that you'll have to put to bed, and suns and moons and stars that you'll have to keep scoured and bright. But with the whole green earth for your carpet, and shining heaven for your roof-tree, and God himself for your landlord, now wouldn't you be a fool if you weren't quite satisfied? If you weren't quite satisfied, finished Barton mumblingly. Little Eve Edgerton lifted her great eyes, soft with sorrow, sharp with tears, almost defiantly to Barton's. That's what mother said, she faltered, but all the same, I'd rather have a house. Why, you poor kid, said Barton, you ought to have a house. It's a shame. It's a beastly shame. It's a... Very softly in the darkness his hand grazed hers. Did you touch my hand on purpose or just accidentally? asked Eve Edgerton, without a flicker of expression on her upturned gold-colored face. Why, I'm sure I don't know, laughed Barton. Maybe, maybe it was a little of each. With absolute gravity, little Eve Edgerton kept right on staring at him. I don't know whether I should ever specially like you or not, Mr. Barton, she drawled, but you are certainly very beautiful. Oh, I say, cried Barton wretchedly. With a really desperate effort, he struggled almost to his feet tottered for an instant and then came sagging down to the soft earth again a great sprawling spineless heap at little eve edgerton's feet unflinchingly as if her wrists were built of steel wires the girl jumped up and pulled and tugged and yanked his almost dead weight into a sitting posture again my but you're chock full of lightning she commiserated with him out of the utter rage and mortification of his helplessness Barton could almost have cursed her for her sympathy. Then suddenly, without warning, a little gasp of sheer tenderness escaped him. Eve Edgerton, he stammered, you are a brick. You, you must have been invented just for the sole purpose of saving people's lives. Oh, you've saved mine all right, he acknowledged soberly. And all this black, blasted night you've nursed me and fed me and jollied me without a whimper about yourself? without a... Impulsively, he reached out his numb-palmed hand to her, and her own hand came so cold to it that it might have been the caress of one ghost to another. Eve Edgerton, he reiterated, I tell you, you're a brick, and I'm a fool, and a slob, and a mudhead, even when I'm not chock-full of lightning, as you call it, but if there's ever anything I can do for you... What did you say? muttered little Eve Edgerton. I said you were a brick, repeated Barton a bit irritably. Oh, no, I didn't mean that, mused the girl, but what was the the last thing you said? Oh, grinned Barton more cheerfully. I said, if there was ever anything I could do for you, anything. Would you rent me your attic? asked Lil Eve Edgerton. Would I rent you my attic? stammered Barton. Why in the world should you want to hire my attic? 
so I could buy pretty things in Siam or Ceylon or any other queer country and have some place to send them, said little Eve Edgerton. Oh, I'd pay the express, Mr. Barton, she hastened to assure him. Oh, I promise you there never would be any trouble about the express or about the rent. Expeditiously, as she spoke, she reached for her hip pocket and brought out a roll of bills that fairly took Barton's breath away. If there's one thing in the world you know that I've got, it's money, she confided perfectly simply. So you see, Mr. Barton, she added with sudden wistfulness, there's almost nothing on the face of the globe that I couldn't have, if I only had some place to put it. Without further parleying, she proffered the roll of bills to him. Miss Edgerton, are you crazy? Barton asked again, quite precipitously. Again the girl answered his question, equally frankly, and without offense. Oh, no, she said, only very determined. Determined about what? grinned Barton in spite of himself. Determined about an attic, drawled little Eve Edgerton. With an unwanted touch of vivacity, she threw out one hand in a little sharp gesture of appeal, but not a tone of her voice either quickened or deepened. Why, Mr. Barton, she droned, I'm thirty years old, and ever since I was born I've been traveling all over the world in a steamer trunk. In a steamer trunk, mind you, with father always standing over every packing to make sure that we never carry anything that isn't necessary. With father, I said, she re-emphasized by a sudden distinctness. You know, father, she added significantly. Yes, I know, father, assented Barton with astonishing glibness. Once again the girl threw out her hand in an incongruous gesture of appeal. The things that father thinks are necessary, she exclaimed softly. Noiselessly, as a shadow, she edged herself forward into the full light till she faced Barton almost squarely. Maybe you think it's fun, Mr. Barton, she whispered. Maybe you think it's fun, at thirty years of age, with all your faculties intact, to own nothing in the world except, except a steamer trunk full of the things that father thinks are necessary. Very painstakingly, on the fingers of one hand, she began to enumerate the articles in question. Just your riding togs, she said, and six suits of underwear, and all the United States consular reports and two or three wash dresses, and two good-enough dresses, and a lot of quinine, and a squashed hat, and, and, very faintly the ghost of a smile went flickering over her lips, and whatever microscopes and specimen cases get crowded out of father's trunk. What's the use, Mr. Barton, she questioned, of spending a whole year investigating the silk industry of China if you can't take any of the silks home? What's the use, Mr. Barton, of rolling up your sleeves and working six months in a heathen porcelain factory just to study glaze if you don't own a china closet in any city on the face of the earth? Why, sometimes, Mr. Barton, she confided, it seems as if I'd die a horrible death if I couldn't buy things the way other people do and send them somewhere, even if it wasn't home. The world is so full of beautiful things, she mused white enamel bathtubs and Persian rugs and the most ingenious little egg-beaters and eh stammered barton quite desperately he rummaged his brain for some sane-sounding expression of understanding and sympathy you could i suppose he ventured not too intelligently 
buy the things and give them to other people. Oh, yes, of course, conceded little Eve Edgerton without enthusiasm. Oh, yes, of course, you can always buy people the things they want. But, understand, she said, there's very little satisfaction in buying the things you want to give to people who don't want them. I tried it once, she confided, and it didn't work. The winter we were in Paraguay, she went on, in some stale old English newspaper, I saw an advertisement of a white bedroom set. There were eleven pieces, and it was adorable, and it cost eighty-two pounds, and I thought after I'd had the fun of unpacking it, I could give it to a woman I knew who had a tea plantation. But the instant she got it, she painted it green. Now, when you sent to England for eleven pieces of furniture, because they are white, sighed little, Eve Edgerton, and have them crated because they are white, and sent to sea because they're white, and then carried overland miles and miles and miles on Indians' heads because they're white, you sort of want them to stay white. Oh, of course it's all right, she acknowledged patiently. The tea woman was nice, and the green paint by no means altogether bad. Only, looking back now on our winter in Paraguay, I seem to have missed somehow the particular thrill that I paid eighty-two pounds and all that freightage for. Yes, of course, agreed Barton. He could see that. So if you could rent me your attic, she resumed almost blithely. But my dear child, interrupted Barton, what possible... Why, I'd have a place then to send things to, argued little Eve Edgerton. But you're off on the high seas Saturday, you say, laughed Barton. Yes, I know, explained little Eve Edgerton just a little bit impatiently. But the high seas are so dull, Mr. Barton, and then we sail so long, she complained. And so far, via this, via that, via every other stupid old port in the world. Why, it'll be months and months before we ever reach Melbourne. And, of course, on every steamer, she began to monotone, of course on every steamer there'll be someone with a mixed-up collection of shells or coins, and that will take all my mornings. And, of course, on every steamer there'll be somebody struggling with the Chinese alphabet or the Burmese accents, and that will take all my afternoons. But in the evenings, when people are just having fun, she kindled again. And nobody wants me for anything. Why, then, you see, I could still weigh up in the bow, where you're not allowed to go, and think about my beautiful attic. It's pretty lonesome, she whispered, all snuggled up there alone with the night, and the spray and the sailors' shouts. If you haven't got anything at all to think about except just what's ahead, what's ahead, what's ahead, and even that belongs to God, she sighed a bit ruefully. With a quick jerk, she edged herself even closer to Barton and sat staring up at him with her tousled head cocked on one side like an eager terrier. So if you just could, Mr. Barton, she began all over again, and, oh, I know it couldn't be any real bother to you, she hastened to reassure him, because after Saturday, you know, I'll probably never, never be in America again. Then what satisfaction, laughed Barton, could you possibly get in filling up an attic with things that you will never see again? What satisfaction, repeated little Eve Edgerton perplexedly. What satisfaction? Between her placid brows a very black frown deepened. Why, just the satisfaction, she said, 
of knowing before you die that you had definitely diverted to your own personality that much specific treasure out of the out of the world's chaotic maelstrom of generalities eh said barton what for heaven's sake say it again why just the satisfaction began eve edgerton then abruptly the sullen lines grayed down again around her mouth it seems funny to me mr barton that anybody as big as you are shouldn't be able to understand anybody as little as i am but if i only had an attic she cried out with apparent irrelevance oh if just once in my whole life i could have even so much as an attic full of home oh please 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 mr barton she pleaded oh please precipitously she lifted her small brown face to his and in her eyes he saw the strangest little unfinished expression flame up suddenly and go out again a little fleeting expression so sweet so shy so transcendently lovely that if it had ever lived to reach her frowning brow her sulky little mouth her then startlingly into his stare into his amazement broke a great white glare through the opening of the cave my god he winced with his elbow across his eyes why it isn't lightning laughed little eve edgerton it's the moon quick as a sprite she flashed to her feet and ran out into the moonlight we can go home now she called back triumphantly over her shoulder oh we can can we snapped barton his nerves were strangely raw he struggled to his knees and tottered there watching the cheeky little moonbeams lap up the mystery of the cave and scare the yellow lantern flame into a mere sallow glow poignantly from the forest he heard eve edgerton's voice calling out into the night come mother's horse come mother's horse Woo-hoo. come 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 softly above the crackle of twigs the thud of a hoof the creak of a saddle he sensed the long tremulous answering whinny then almost like a silver apparition the girl's figure and the horses seemed to merge together before him in the moonlight well of all things stammered barton oh the horse is all right i thought he'd stay round called the girl but he's wild as a hawk and it's going to be the dickens of a job i'm afraid to get you up half walking half crawling barton emerged from the cave to get me up he scoffed well what do you think you're going to do limply as he asked he sank back against the support of a tree why i think drawled eve edgerton i think very naturally that you're going to ride and i'm going to walk back to the hotel well i am not snapped barton well you are not he protested vehemently for heaven's sake miss edgerton why don't you go scooting back on the gray and send a wagon or something for me why because it would make such a fuss droned little eve edgerton drearily doors would bang and lights would blaze and somebody'd scream and-and you make so much fuss when you're born she said and so much fuss when you die don't you think it's sort of nice to keep things as quietly to yourself as you can all the rest of your days yes of course 
acknowledged Barton, but— "'But nothing!' stabbed little Eve Edgerton with sudden passion. "'Oh, Mr. Barton, won't you please hurry? It's almost dawn now, and the nice hotel cook is very sick in a cot bed, and I promised her faithfully this noon that I'd make her four hundred muffins for breakfast.' "'Oh, confound it!' said Barton. Stumblingly he reached the big gray side. "'But it's miles!' he protested, in common decency. "'Miles and miles. Rough walking, too. Darned rough. And your poor little feet!' "'I don't walk particularly with my poor little feet,' gibbed Eve Edgerton. "'Most specially, thank you, Mr. Barton. I walk with my big wanting to walk.' "'Oh,' said Barton. "'Oh!' The bones in his knees began suddenly to slump like so many knots of tissue paper. "'Oh, all right, Eve,' he called out a bit hazily. Then slowly and laboriously, with a very good imitation of meekness, he allowed himself to be pulled and pushed and jerked to the top of an old tree stump, and from there at last, with many tricks and tugs and sutterfuges, to the cramping side-saddle of the restive, rearing gray. Helplessly, in the clear white moonlight, he watched the girl's neck, muscles, cord, and strain. Helplessly, in the clear white moonlight, he heard the girl's breath rip and tear, like a dry sob out of her gasping lungs. And then at last, blinded with sweat, dizzy with weakness, as breathless as herself, as wrenched, as triumphant, he found himself clinging fast to a worn, sweet pommel, jogging jerkily down the mountainside with Eve Edgerton's doll-sized hand dragging hard on the big grace curb, and her whole tiny weight shoved back a slant and a strain against the big grace's too eager shoulder. Little drawl, colorless, meek Eve Edgerton, after her night of stress and terror, with her precious scrapbook still hugged tight under one arm, striding staunchly home through the rough-footed, woodsy night, to make four hundred muffins for breakfast. At the first crook in the trail, she glanced back hastily over her shoulder into the rustling shadows. "'Good-bye, Cave,' she called softly. "'Good-bye, Cave.' And once, when some tiny woods animal scuttled out from under her feet, she smiled up a bit appealingly at Barton. Several times they stopped for water at some sudden noisy brook and once or twice, or even three times, perhaps, when some blinding days of dizziness overwhelmed him, she climbed up with one foot into the roomy stirrup and steadied his swaying, unfeeling body against her own little harsh, reassuring, flannel-shirted breast. Mile after mile, through the jet-black latticework of the treetops, the August moon spotted brightly down on them. Mile after mile, through rolling pastures, the moon plated stubble crackled and sucked like a sheet of wet ice under their feet. Then roads began, mere molten bogs of mud and moonlight, and little frail roadside bushes, drunk with rain, lay wallowing helplessly in every hollow. Out of this pristine, uninhabited wilderness, the hotel buildings loomed at last, with startling conventionality. Even before their discreetly shuttered windows, Barton winced back again with a sudden horrid new realization of his half-nakedness. "'For heaven's sake!' he cried. 
Let's sneak in the back way somewhere. Oh, Lordy, what a sight I am to meet your father. What a sight you are to meet my father, repeated Eve Edgerton with astonishment. Oh, please, don't insist on waking up father, she begged. He hates so to be waked up. Oh, of course, if I'd been hurt, it would have been courteous of you to tell him, she explained seriously. But, oh, I'm sure he wouldn't like your waking up just to tell him that you got hurt. Softly under her breath, she began to whistle toward a shadow in the stable yard. Usually, she whispered, there's a sleepy stable boy lying around here somewhere. Oh, Bob, she summoned. Rollingly, the shadow named Bob struggled to its very real feet. Here, Bob, she ordered. Come help Mr. Barton. He's pretty badly off. We got sort of struck by lightning. And two of us got killed. Go help him upstairs. Do anything he wants. Don't make any fuss. He'll be all right in the morning. Gravely, she put out her hand to Barton and nodded to the boy. Good night, she said, and good night, Bob. Shrewdly for a moment she stood watching them out of sight, shivered a little at the clatter of a box kicked over in some remote shed, and then swinging around quickly ripped the hot saddle from the big gray's back, slipped the bit from his tortured tongue, and, turning him loose with one sharp slap on his gleaming flank, yanked off her own riding boots, and went scudding off in her stocking feet through innumerable doors and else till, reaching the great empty office, she caroomed off suddenly up three flights of stairs to her own apartment. Once in her room her little traveling clock told her it was a quarter of three. Phew, she said. Just phew. Very furiously at the big porcelain washbowl she began to splash and splash and splash. If I've got to make four hundred muffins, she said, I surely have got to be whiter than snow. Roused by the racket, her father came irritably and stood in the doorway. "'Oh, my dear Eve,' he complained, Don't, "'didn't you get wet enough in the storm? And for mercy's sake, where have you been?' Out of the depths of her dripping hair and her big plushy bath towel, little Eve Edgerton considered her father only casually. "'Don't delay me,' she said. "'I've got to make four hundred muffins, and I'm so late I haven't even time to change my clothes.' We got struck by lightning, she added purely incidentally. That is, sort of struck by lightning. That is, Mr. Barton got sort of struck by lightning. And, oh, glory, father, her voice kindled a little. And, oh, glory, father, I thought he was gone. Twice in the hours I was working over him, he stopped breathing altogether. Palpably the vigor died out of her voice again. Father she drawled mumblingly through intermittent flops of bath-towel. "'Father, you said I could keep the next thing I saved. Do you think I could keep him?' End of Part 2 Chapter 2